So around about 1988, 1989, I was a junior in high school studying for and taking the class for my AP history exam, a much more in-depth dive into our American history than I had ever received before. And around about that same time, I encountered a book called Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen, subtitled Everything Your American History Textbook Got Wrong. I think it was a gift from my father, although there's a slight chance I might have just stolen it off of his shelf and kept it for several years, in which case I apologize. But that book stuck with me with its new raft of details about what happened in the story of Columbus and the story of the first Thanksgiving and how our story of racism and the Civil War and slavery unfolded in ways that we don't tell our students as they learn our story. The chapter in the opening on Columbus itself was a shock to me when I heard it, all the stories of genocide and slavery and the horrors perpetrated on the natives that Columbus found when he landed. And at the time, I didn't know what to do with all that new information. So I just kind of kept my head down and I studied my AP textbook and I prayed fervently that there wouldn't be any Columbus questions on it because I didn't know what I was going to do if there were and there weren't. And the thing is, none of the information that James Lowen was presenting in his book was new information, not amazing discoveries he had made. Those stories were out there. They'd always been there. But for some reason, we chose not to tell them. And that's the thing about the stories we tell about ourselves and the way we cherry-pick the elements of those stories, we know, on some level, we know the whole story. But sometimes we don't always make the adjustments we need to when presented with parts of the story less than shining. Like Rick Santorum in our example last week, Blithely pushing forward with the old out-of-date story about who was here and who was not here when the colonists arrived on the American continent in spite of all the threads that people know. We don't like to tell on ourselves and put ourselves in a bad light. But those stories need to be told. Though there are some who would say we shouldn't tell those stories at all. Around that same time I was studying AP history, one of the conservative battle cries of the culture wars of the 80s was revisionist history. The story is set in stone. What are you doing adding these new facts into it? Putting things in a bad light for us. That's not the American story. We are always the best. As if the American story was only triumphant and set in stone the way we learned it in our middle school textbooks. Definitive, sacrosanct, immutable. Unless you think that was just a a symptom of that era 
we are still seeing that call to edit out the awful portions of our history today as we watch state legislatures across the country try to ban the teaching of the stories contained in the 1619 Project. That's not us. Don't tell that bad story about us. And I get it. I do. I don't like changing the stories I write either. I hate, hate editing. Rewriting is a chore, and I despise it. I'm a recovering perfectionist, and I always aimed to have perfection in the very first draft. I went along for years in my writing, not even putting a sentence down until I had it perfectly up here, so it flowed finished from brain through to pen. And I still struggle with that today. Sometimes I can't write at all because I'm still trying to bust through that desire not to have to edit or rewrite. But I've come to appreciate over the last decade, if not celebrate, the idea that crafting a story, getting it right, putting it into its truest form, one that accounts for all the layers that emerge in the creative process, requires the messy, ugly work of rewriting, of taking that thing you have just put together and ripping it apart again so you can sift out the pieces that work from the pieces that don't belong and then glue it all back together again so that you can create the best possible version of the story you are telling at the time you are telling it. Now I'm talking about writing fiction here. And as we talk about being a people of story, I'm talking about telling the story of ourselves that tells us into being the best version of ourselves out about in the world. But oddly enough, I find as I'm preparing this week, the, the rules for rewriting are still very applicable to how we engage with the story of us and the story of us in relationship with all that is. First up, we have to be careful not to cling too tightly to our creation. Part of the process of creating for an audience is letting go of your baby so that others can engage with it, but just learning to let go is hard. Sometimes if we cling too tightly, we cannot see what needs to be changed, what's demanding to be changed. And so our rewriting process often begins with stepping away from the work for a little while, not engaging with it at all, trying to shake the etch-a-sketch of your mind and clear your head so you can encounter it freshly. Read it out loud. Read it out loud as if you were the audience and not the author. Hear it as others might hear it. 
And once we've engaged with a story through that lens, we can maybe start to see not only all of the flaws that need to be corrected, but hopefully what is at the heart of the story, the spark in the center that connects it to people, that makes it engaging, that makes us and others want to be part of the story. And then once we've found the heart and we've found the flaws, we take out all the parts that don't move the story in the direction of its desired conclusion. See, it's no fun if you promise a story of justice and redemption at the beginning and then somewhere in the middle you go on a 25-page digression about how you clean the kitchen detail by detail. At that point, we're not telling the story anymore. We're just procrastinating on the work at hand. Those parts need to go so we can focus on what must be done. And at the same time, as we're taking out the parts that don't move us towards the conclusion, we have to add in the new parts sometimes. That reflect the things we have learned in engaging with the story, that fill in the plot holes that we found as we blow it all apart, that add the missing steps to get us from beginning to middle to end. And one of the subheadings under that advice, one of my favorite bits of rewriting advice, is kill your darlings. Sometimes your favorite parts of the story, they don't serve the story anymore. Sure, you spent a lot of time and you crafted it lovingly and the words are perfect and it just sits like a lump of blech in the middle of everything when you finally get it where it needs to be. It's heartbreaking to have to pull those out. It's heartbreaking to write a beautiful 10-minute monologue for a character that is witty and urbane and has beautiful language and then find all that it does is add 10 minutes to the reading and not do anything else. Or maybe it was good in the 80s, but maybe not so good through the lens of today. That old middle school Columbus story, it served a purpose, I guess, for my ancestors coming to this country, making Columbus in his perfection the part of the American story was a step in writing themselves into the American story when others mistrusted them. And it did its job. But it also did its job while glossing over all of the horrors. And the longer we hang on to it, it allows us to continue to gloss over the horrors and perhaps even perpetuate them because we're not engaging with them the way we should. We don't, we don't need the middle school Columbus story anymore. My people have integrated into the country very well, thank you. It's time to kill that darling and set it aside for a better telling. And once your, your plot is taken care of, 
once you've taken out what's not needed and added in what is and killed the darlings that hold your story back. Make sure you have a relatable character. Make sure you have a character that other people want to connect to. Make sure you haven't written our character as a Mary Sue. That's a bit of writing terminology that comes out of the fantasy and science fiction world. A Mary Sue is an act of author wish fulfillment, or, or a Larry Stew, if we're going to be equal about this. The author writing themselves into a story in their idealized sense of self, their perfected sense of self, the smartest, the most beautiful, the most error-free, the character who never makes a mistake, who's braver than Captain Kirk and smarter than Mr. Spock, and everybody loves you and everybody wants to be you. If that's the story we're telling about ourselves, we are definitely not telling the whole story. Better to tell a story about a character as a hero to be on a journey. A character who is reluctant to walk on the path. Scared of the immensity of the task at hand. Fallible in their decision making. And even when they feel they have no choice but to walk the path towards this heroic deed, through this change in, in atmosphere towards the battle of good versus evil, even as they have no choice, they still doubt and despair and have dark nights of the soul. That's a character everyone can relate to. The most compelling, the most interesting characters in a story will always encounter conflict, even if the conflict is just within themselves. And in a story about stories, in a story that is never finished being told and always being rewritten, the struggle to rewrite it, the finding of the error and the corrections and the learning all becomes a vital part of how we tell that story going forward. And then finally, in all good storytelling, show what you are doing and don't tell it. Are we describing what we want to do in the world or are we telling our story as a series of action sequences, doing the work, trying and failing, learning again, doing again? All of this takes a lot of time. All of this takes draft after draft after draft. We never get it right on the first try, and sometimes we don't get it right on the sixth try. And my hard drive is a testament to that with files named novel version 6, edit B, final version. I mean it this time. It takes time and persistence. The Columbus story I learned from the book Lies My Teacher Told Me I encountered 30 plus years ago now, and it's now just in the last few years that that story is starting to take a hold in the main thread of our narrative of the American story, and we are starting to adjust for that. It takes time. 
And still there are those who see the rewriting of the story and cry out, revisionist history. But here's the thing, that revisioning is exactly, exactly what we need to be engaging in from time to time. We cannot live, we cannot persist without constant revisioning. Here in our faith community, our vision, our mission, are one of the ways we are telling the story that tells us into being as a community. And those statements have served us well as a story over the years. Those stories have taken us places we never thought we would get to. And so we have clung on to them for 12 years now since we rewrote them. They have done right by us. And they're not a bad story at all. But the story that surrounds our story, the larger story in which our story is embedded has gone through a few dramatic plot twists in the last year or two. Characters have risen and fallen. Some themes have receded while others come to the forefront. The story has shifted dramatically. This year plus of the COVID pandemic has unearthed and shined new light on layers of our shared story that we have forgotten about and have been buried or that we just wanted to ignore. Whether it's the failures of our economic systems to take care of us when we hit a moment of national crisis, or the failures of our for-profit health care thrown into deeper relief in our vision, or the lack of mental and emotional health support that exists in our country at a time when we need it now more than ever for so many more of us who have ever needed access to it. And the sharpened, sharpened sense of our racial disparity and injustice. All of that has been laid bare in our story. And the question, the question that faces us now is, as the new layers shine through, does the story we are trying to tell meet the needs and the challenges of right here and right now? And the answer is, I I don't know right now. I know that when we come out of the other side of this tunnel that is the pandemic, our community will be different. Our community of Los Alamos will be changed. New Mexico will be changed. Our church will be different, will do some things differently because of this time we have gone through together. And I'm not by any means saying that our mission and our vision are inadequate for the task. I'm not saying that they will absolutely change as a result of the way the world has changed around us, but I am saying we are, we are due for a revisioning because the odds are very good that we are not done rewriting our story. Maybe we're only on draft three. And this will be the challenge that faces us as we begin to come together again.
This will be the challenge that I'm preparing for as I take some time for my own renewal, to do a little of my own revisioning of my own sense of self. And so as we come back together, as we come out of the end into a world that has been changed, it will be time to read our story with a fresh set of eyes. Look at it through the lens of the audience around us. Find the spark at the center of it, the one that connects us and makes people want to be part of the story. And discover together how and where our spark intersects with the needs of the larger story as it develops and evolves. Rewriting is hard. It is often an unpleasant task. But I'm pretty sure it can't be any harder than the struggles we have already faced this last year. It is time for us to revision The best version of the story ourselves is all in the rewriting. And it is never, never too late to tell a better version of ourselves into being. May it be so.